Last week in Philippians, we heard Paul tell us that unity is a big deal, that generosity is not just money, even though it is money, but it's also our time, our talents, our resources, our passions, our attitudes, our affections. It's all of those things. And he uh, ended the last uh, uh, part of last week that uh, sort of giving us a call to be together as one. So last week, we, we called that the gift of generosity. This is the gift of humility, because he says that that's a key for us to understand what it is that we're about as we go about this business of being a community of faith. And, and for you who are, are new to our community of faith, thank you for, uh, for being a part of what we're doing. If you're visiting today, thanks for being a part of what we're doing. If you're watching online, this is a, a big, gigantic community of faith. And the Lord has, has blessed us. He, is, he has continued to, to uh, uh, show us what he's about at this little corner of Atlanta, and we're glad to be a part of it. But, but collective humility is a demonstration of unity. Now, I've said for a long time, when we, when we started talking about the vision for Dunwoody Baptist Church, what, I, I thought in terms of what is it that people see when they drive by here. And a whole lot of our renovation, for you who are brand new, we, we've sort of done a facelift and a, a pretty extensive redo of the, the place, and it looks a whole lot different when you drive by on Ashford Dunwoody Road. And I don't know if you drive by us every day, but if you do, you're one of 20,000 people who drive by us every day. And uh, I've always wondered, what do they see when they look over there? Well, what do they think of when they, they look at this church? What are, what are, what's going through their mind about the, uh, the reputation that we have in the community, the reputation we have in the kingdom of God? Are we known for being nice? Are we known for being welcoming? Are we known for something else? And it is always our desire that we are known for the, the collective humility that says maybe we don't have all the right answers, but let's learn together. The way that... Our, our message today starts, or the passage that we're dealing with, in chapter 2, verse 1, it starts with the word, therefore. And we know as a body that when we see the word, therefore, we always look to see what it's there for. And what it's there for it points back to verses 27 through 30 of the previous chapter. That's what we talked about last week. God said through the Apostle Paul, he said, we should walk worthy and conduct ourselves in a way that's, quote, worthy of the gospel. And, and, and the best translation of that is live as a good citizen of the gospel. Citizenship was incredibly important to the Romans. They, they conquered other people so the citizens wouldn't have to pay taxes. The citizenship, it, it got Paul out of a flogging or two through the course of his ministry. Citizenship, it meant land ownership. When the soldiers fought a battle at this town of Philippi, after the battle they were given land because they were citizens of Rome. It's not easy to be a citizen of the United States. 
there's a process, and that the process involves learning English, and, and it involves uh, uh, civic lessons. It involves loyalty. It involves residence. It, in, it involves a, 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 the way the citizenship statute reads. It means a good moral character. John F. Kennedy was president, and every president speaks usually at the the uh, naturalization ceremony, and when JFK uh, spoke, he said the, the, the American experiment requires more of its citizens than anything else. Nothing requires more of the people than this thing we call American democracy. It, it requires a lot, and, and citizenship in the gospel is like citizenship in the country. When, when, when our, our citizens are bickering with one another, when there is disunity, we call that civil war, and we've had a lot of them, and we are on the verge of, of disquiet between rival groups in our country that, that is completely unsettling. Paul understood that in the church, if it's observable from the outside that we are bickering with one another, it's, it, it disrupts everything about the way we work, how we work, when we work, it disrupts. And so the Scripture today, Paul is carrying on from last week, and he's, he's saying, listen, there's, there's a way that we should walk as citizens of the gospel. Last week we said it's input and output. As citizens, we are given things. We are given privileges. We are given rights. Uh, when they uh, raise their right hand, all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities there too. And so we are given things, and then there are things expected of us. Input, output. We are given things when we follow Christ, when we accept Christ, when we say, uh, Lord, would you come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sin? Will you allow me to walk with you and, and inherit all of eternity? We are given things, input. And like we said last week, there are, are things that are output. There are things that we do, discipleship, we call it, that, 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 that we, we say we're going to do things. And it's, it's like a, a marriage ceremony when, when a bride and a groom say things to each other. They're, those are the words that they say, but then there's living those things out days, weeks, months, years. And the same would be true for our citizenship in the gospel. So unity important to our homes, our church, our community, and our world. Well, the thing about it is that unity and humility kind of go hand in hand. Several weeks ago, I did a message on humility. We, I don't know if you remember, we talked about it. It was basically about how to get along with the weird uncle at the Thanksgiving table. But we were saying that humility unlocks conversation and that doesn't insist on being right. It, it gives up the right to be right. It, it, it values righteousness over right. And today, Paul sort of picks up that thought, and, and, and a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it, we were kind of more talking about individual humility, right? How, how do I be in a, in a place where I don't have to be right at the Thanksgiving table? Well, today he's talking about collective. When those people drive by on Ashford, when they drive by on Mount Vernon Road, and, 
and, and they have lots and lots of time to count every brick on the side of our building because the traffic is absolutely stopped. What do they think of us? Do they see a, a collective humility in us? And Paul picks that up in this, this beautiful section of Philippians. Talked last week a little bit about the church that, 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 that we're talking about here, a little outpost kind of church at the, at the border of Europe and, and uh, Asia Minor. And so he's writing to them, and he says, therefore, talked about the therefore, and if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, circle the word if and replace it with the word since. These are conditional clauses, grammar people. Uh, they are conditional, and it's, it's not that the, the issue of whether or not is not at question. Since is a better word. So since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is love, since there is fellowship, since there is affection and compassion. So, so he gives us a sort of a, a fourfold attaboy there at the very first. I love the word encouragement. And if you are either a hot air balloonist or a submariner, you understand perfectly what he's talking about because the word encouragement needs to get rid of ballast. A hot air balloonist has to drop weight over the side in order to rise higher. A submariner has to take on ballast in order to go deeper. But when the submarine needs to surface, when it needs to rise, it has to blow the water out of the tanks and get rid of the ballast. Encouragement means we help each other get rid of ballast. We help each other get rid of weight in order to be all that we're supposed to be in Christ, citizens of the gospel. That as a pastor, my job is to, is to help the, this incredible staff that we have to, to be who they're supposed to be, to, to figure out how to put them in places, get rid of ballast, help them, help them learn new things. I can learn new things. We help each other. That's what this incredible church is doing. And so he says, since these things are happening, since there's encouragement, since there's love, since there's affection, since there's fellowship, he mirrors that with four things that we do as a result, input, output. So he says, make my joy. He uses the word joy a whole lot in the scripture. This, this whole letter is known as a book of rejoicing. If you go through it and highlight every time the word joy or rejoice or joyful, it's a whole bunch and highlighting that, that word, it just it makes it jump out at you specifically in here. When those purple lights come on, it looks like this is fluorescent. Anyway, I digress. He's saying, because these things are in place, here's what it's supposed to look like. Make my joy complete. Complete means perfect. We said that last week, Philippians 1.6. I am, uh, um, of this I am confident that the one who began this good work in us will perfect it, complete it. So you could replace the word perfect, make my joy perfect by being, and here's the four, of same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, Paul has a little bit of an ulterior motive here. 
We're not going to know about it until chapter 4, but there's a couple of people in the church that are bickering with each other. And the thought is that he doesn't want that bickering to grow beyond them. And so in chapter 4, he says, you two deal with it. Grow up. Can't have this. But he's speaking to the whole church about what disunity causes. Would it be fair to say that most disunity is caused by selfishness? Most disunity is caused by selfishness. I I want what I can get, when I can get it, how I can get it, as soon as I can get it, with as much of it as I can get. That's selfishness. And selfishness is, is at the root of disunity. Would it also be fair to say that selfishness tries to impress others rather than to serve others? Selfishness tries to impress others rather than to serve others. And if that selfishness becomes pandemic, if I can reclaim a word... If that selfishness becomes a, a pandemic, then, then, then all of a sudden it's everywhere and the reputation of the church becomes that rather than if there, since there is love, compassion, affection, fellowship, unity. One of my writers that I kind of was a go-to writer when I was a youth pastor, his name is Jeff Myers, he introduced me to a term chronological narcissism, that this is the time when our selfishness says we know better than anybody who's gone before us, we're smarter, we're more inventive, we're more creative, all those years of history in the church, in the nation, in the world, they mean nothing because we've finally got it right. Selfishness that becomes pandemic and results in a a group of people, as Myers said it, chronological narcissists are people who are ignorant of the past, uncomprehending of the present, and careless for the future. And when our selfishness is what we're known for, when our disunity is what we're known for, we become insignificant as a church. Paul says, don't let that happen. There is, there is humility to be grasped. Let me read the rest of this passage. He says, make my joy complete, verse 2, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You see how those relate to the first four he said in the, in the first part. He says, just make my joy perfect. Let me sit here in this jail cell and hear of what you're doing as a church and that you are known for being of the same mind, same love, same spirit, same purpose. And then he says, just in case there's any uh, confusion here, don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. A couple of weeks ago we said humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis said that. Rick Warren quoted it often. Humility is not 
thinking less of yourself. Do not merely look out for your own interests. Yes, look out for your own interests. Make sure that that you put your own oxygen on before you give it to somebody else. But also for the interests of others. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But in humility of mind, let each one regard others as more important than yourself. You can see where he's going with this. And then he sort of brings it to a close because all of us are going, that seems like a pretty high burden. That seems like a hurdle that's, that's huge. How do I do all this? How do I, it's, since there's encouragement, love, fellowship, affection, so that I want Paul's joy to be complete, but he's not who I serve. What does that look like? Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Great. He says, you don't have to wonder what it looks like. Have this mind in you. Some of your translations in verse 5 say the word attitude. Some of them say heart. You don't want to know what the Greek word is there because it's, we don't understand it at all. It has to do with what's deep in your intestines. That you're so consumed by this have this heart have this have this passion in you that was also in Christ Jesus so he says what you need to do then is imitate humility imitation is an interesting thing school teachers let me see your hands school teachers god bless you I am an educator, was an educator, taught uh, as a professor in grad school and undergraduate school and all of that. And even at the highest levels of education, one of the best teachers is imitation, right? One of the best things you can do is to show somebody how to do something and then let them do it. The old proverb is what I hear I forget what I see, I remember, what I do, I understand. And, and if, if someone can imitate for somebody else, many of us do things, we have no idea why, they do, why we do them. For me, it's, it's especially driving. Uh, my father was an over-the-road truck driver for a little while, and he taught me two things. If you have an automatic transmission in your vehicle, your left foot is entirely unnecessary. Don't even think about putting that left foot on the brake. I still have nightmares about the possibility that my dad would be in the car and I would put my left foot on the brake. The other thing that I do that is pure imitation is that when there is a car on the right-hand shoulder, I pull into the left lane. Over-the-road truck drivers do that. And my dad did that. And so when he was teaching me how to drive, I I did it automatically because I saw him do that 100% of the time. He would wait for traffic to clear. He would pull into the other one. I learned that by imitation. There's so many things we learn by imitation. And Paul is saying here, look to Jesus. You got a DIY project at home? Nobody just launches into the project right away. You go to where? YouTube. How do I fix this wire? How do I do this plumbing? How do I landscape this? How do I, we go to YouTube for everything because it's so much easier to watch somebody do what we're trying to learn how to do and then just imitate what they do. Paul is saying, look to Jesus and imitate his humility. 
And just in case we're a little unclear about what that looks like, he describes it. Now, full disclosure, I don't think Paul wrote these verses. I think that he got so caught up in what he was saying that he thought of a praise chorus that they sang in church, and it sang it better than what he could say it. If you look at verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, it reads more like a praise chorus than it does an instruction to a local church. Let me read it. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, verse 5. He says, here's what that looks like. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, did not regard Godness as a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself. You want humility? He emptied himself. He, he left heaven. He was born as an infant. He took on the likeness of man. He was born as a baby. He was a human. He cried. He hurt. He was hungry. He emptied all of his godness for us. No wonder he started singing. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to God. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, Father, but yours be done. I'm not looking forward to crucifixion. But not my will, but yours be done. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God exalted him, bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. No wonder he said, I I can't say it as well as the praise chorus does. I, I, can't, I can only imitate, and, and sometimes you musicians say it better than we preachers ever could. And there's this, this, this beautiful poem that's inserted in this letter, and the, the people at Philippi would probably have been familiar with it. It would be like Paul says, you know, as the song says, it is well with my soul. It it is well. I'm here in prison, but it is well. I I know what you guys are doing. It is well. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard that Godness a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man, and being found in the appearance of man. He emptied himself. He became obedient. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death. Yes, even death on the cross. And because he did that, God exalted him. God lifted him up. He gave him the name which is above every name, Jesus, Messiah, Yeshua, exalted one, Lion of Judah, Lamb of God, Lily of the Valley. He gave him the names that just bring to us a sense of peace, a sense of of promise, a sense of hope for the future. And in this wonderful hymn, God told us about how he was born, how he would live, how he would die, how he would be resurrected, how he would return. He didn't leave anything out. This is the gospel. Oh, wait. He told us to be citizens of the gospel. We get it, Lord. 
We're supposed to imitate this. We can't, we can't have anything else. But here's the deal. When we imitate, we've got to be convinced that we need to know something before we will imitate somebody in order to do it. When I was in, I don't know, high school, I was taking physics, or it was taking me. And basically, we were told, you can't pass this class unless you learn how to use a slide rule. Well, I'm old, but I'm not that old. We already had calculators. Why in the world would you need to learn how to use a slide rule if you can pick up a calculator and do it faster and more accurately? It's because the teacher was convinced of the value of learning how to use a slide rule. Guess who wasn't convinced of that value? This guy. Guess who didn't pass physics? I know how to use a calculator. Still don't know what a slide rule is for, except to draw a straight line. If we're not convinced of the value of something, we won't invest in learning it, in imitating it. Several times in Scripture, he says, humility is a big deal. Zephaniah 2, seek humility. Colossians 3, put on humility. 1 Peter 3, have a humble mind. 1 Peter 5, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. 1 Peter 5, James 4, humble yourselves. Jesus in Matthew 18, he said, there will be a time when the exalted are humbled and the humble are exalted. Therefore, humble yourselves if you want to be exalted. Exalt yourselves if you want to be humbled. We, we, we see throughout Scripture the value of putting selfishness aside in order to receive this gift of being a citizen of the gospel. We get it. How do we do it? Five things. Input. An output. We receive the gospel. The input, humility, leads us to mutual submission. We, we get that we defer to others. We get that we're interested in somebody who's suffering because their loved one's in the hospital or they've come up on hard times or there's uh, been a death, there's been a, a job change, a relationship fracture. We, 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 we have to learn to pause, and, and when we say, how are you doing, we really mean it, and it's not just a, a drive-by handshake. Humility leads to submission, and that submission is servanthood. It follows naturally. Five things. One, only through servanthood can you be obedient to the call in your life. What a hard statement in the description of Jesus there in chapter 2, that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That is a big, high standard. That the thing he didn't want to do, as a human, he, he begged God that he wouldn't have to do that. But that was the Father's will, and through that humility, through that obedience, we saw the plan of the gospel emerge. Secondly, being a servant means giving up my rights for others. The laboratory of this for me, as I've confessed to you before, is driving. Okay, that person's in a bigger hurry than I am. Okay, that person has less intellect than I do. 
Sorry, didn't need to go there. I, that, that, that me being aware of what it is to give up my rights is constant. And, and really in so many places. I'm aware that, that to put someone else in a, in a place where they would be advantaged or where they can succeed, I've got to learn to sit back and you go, I allowed myself to get out of the way and they're becoming even more of who God intended them to be. Number three, being a servant means becoming less so others can be more. A big part of what a pastor does is to make uh, opportunities possible for staff and lay people. Uh, You know, I can't play the guitar, but if I could, I wouldn't because David's more fun to watch. If I I could lead worship, I I wouldn't because Robert's really good at it. Even if I'm good at something, to get out of the way. Uh, you know, when we talk about imitation, any father can do it better than his son. But his son gets better by doing it instead of the father. And that's what it, it means to, to back away so others can become more. Servanthood is obedience, and obedience is discipleship. In Hebrews, the scripture says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet those who are trained up in it yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. There's there's an obedience that's connected with this ongoing learning curve. Finally, servanthood will be rewarded and his name will be exalted. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That doesn't say everybody that wants to. It says every knee will bow. Of those in heaven, those who want to, of those on earth, those who want to, of those under the earth who don't want to, but they're going to kneel anyway. Our rewards for humility, obedience, they may not come on this earth. They may not be here. I've done way, way too many funerals where I've watched the hope in the eyes of precious family members. Because they're believing everything they've been hearing and learning and singing through the years. They believe that the, at the name of Jesus, they believe that if, if, if he's lifted up, he will draw them to himself. They believe that he must become greater as they become less. And when their loved one closes their eyes for the last time, they believe that that Jesus is taking care of him. That's the reward. And it may not be here or it may be here. It may be that you get an opportunity to do something incredible because you've been obedient, because you've been faithful, because you you sort of learned, you've imitated that, and, and you're in the right place at the right time. And he says, here, go, go, go. Or it could be that that reward is eternity. What we know for sure is that he has given us this gift of humility. And every admonition in here is plural every every instruction in here is y'all not you and so he says to us as a church will you take this challenge that's part of what the spirit has been doing in me it's will you take this challenge alan will you help this church be ready for for the time when you're not here yes let's go let's do what he's calling us to do But as an individual, that starts with you saying yes to Jesus. That starts with you 
saying, I want this journey to be my journey. I, I want to learn about humility in this, this community of faith. I want to learn about this eternity that you're speaking of. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for today, for all that you're doing in our midst. If there's one here who doesn't know you, may this be the day that they embrace you as Savior, as Lord. To have a conversation with a pastor just roaming around or someone at the connection corner, may this be the day that they begin this journey for the rest of us. God, let it be a reminder when we drive by this church that we ask, what are we known for? How can I be a part of being a church that serves, a church that values humility over impression, that values service, that our only reputation that we care about is the reputation that you give us. Let us be consumed with the things of God. I pray in Jesus' name.